Hi there, before we start, if you're new to our show, thank you so much for tuning into our program and we hope you'll stay with us for a very long time. And if you're a regular listener, thank you so much for your continuous support throughout this period of uncertainty. We're really grateful for all your kind words and encouragement. You really help this podcast to gain a great exposure as our mission is to center the perspective of the people who look like us and as women and people who are marginalized historically to the sideline of conversation. So if you haven't already, we encourage you to subscribe to our podcast on Omni, Apple and Google or Spotify. Leave us a rating and a review. And if you'd like to support us, please head to Buy Me Coffee page to make a donation, which will help us to continue the intersectionality of the podcast industry. Thank you for joining me today. Thank you so much. Oh my um, goodness, it's such an honour. Thank you. You know, I've been um, listening to your podcast since like, I think in 2020 maybe when you first started. Really? Like, oh my God. Well, yeah, because, um, I was you know, getting into podcasts, like, and I was like, oh, a lot of the podcasts I'm listening are very, well, I guess, white-centered in a way. And I was just, I was actively looking for um, an Australian podcast. And then when I typed that in, your podcast was the first one that came up. Oh, my God. I'm so happy to hear that, honestly. (laughs) I was such a big fan of you as well. And and then, of course, I had no, then I, realized hey, that's that's Jesse and I had you know worked with Jesse that year and so then I was like oh my goodness and so yeah I've been dropping in on this podcast ever since so this is um, exciting for me thank you hi everyone this is Helen and this is Asian bitches down under Today, I have the pleasure um, to have Miss Eileen Huyn, uh, who is a Sydney-based uh, actor for TV, films and theatre. She graduated from Western Australian Academy of Performing Arts acting course in 2010 and holds a Bachelor of Creative Arts in Performance from the University of Wollongong, where she trained uh, in acting, theatre making and production. Earlier this year, Eileen wowed the audience in Ensemble Theatre's production of The One, with Time Out Sydney calling her one of the highlights of the play and theatre travels, praising her ability to elevate every one of the scenes with electric energy and comic chops. And I remember this specifically because Jessie went to that play and she she just, just kept on talking about it, how great you were. Um, Eileen has also had an outstanding career on Australian screens, starting in ABC's Clever Man and most recently on Get Alive Alright and the miniseries Significant Artist, which is I'm currently watching right now. Yeah, it's a fantastic show. And finally, I have to obviously have to mention this. Eileen is a narrator for audiobooks. The most notable works are Ladies We Need to Talk, which is by Yumi Stein and Claudine Ryan. Narita is Narita by Alice Porn. And can you believe it? She's the narrator for Jesse's book, A Lonely Girl is a Dangerous Thing. Welcome, Eileen. Thank you, Helen. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. And it is an honor to be here. As I was telling you, I've been listening to this podcast, I think, since the year it started. So mm-hmm. I'm so, this is my actual first podcast as well. I've never done oh, uh-huh. So I'm so excited. And wow, what an introduction. That was, I think, <laughs> the, the best intro that anyone has ever given on me. So 
Thank you. You're such an amazing person. Of course, I had to do a brilliant introduction. Um, so maybe can we start with you telling about yourself? Um, I would like to know where you grew up and what was your childhood like? Yeah, sure. Um, oh, okay. Oh, it's always difficult when you start talking about yourself, isn't it? But um, I grew up in Wollongong. Mm-hmm. And um, my background is Chinese, Vietnamese. My parents were born in Vietnam, but um, they have a lot of Chinese heritage. I think three out of four of my grandparents are Chinese. Um, and both my parents were refugees after uh, escaping Vietnam from the Vietnam War. And they uh, both ended up in Coniston, which is down in Wollongong. So that's actually where they met. Um, they have a, There was a refugee hostel that was started, set up in Coniston, and they both had different journeys in terms of getting here, but very similar ones at the same time. Like they both fled by boat. They both ended up mm-hmm. in um, camps in Malaysia, but they actually met and their relationship started once they were in Australia. And then they, you know, uh, set up a life in Wollongong and I came along. I was born and bred in Wollongong and my childhood was entirely lived out there. And, you know, it was I, I recall my childhood being lovely and homey and mm. in terms of the stories that you know that I was told from my parents, I mean, what a life to have lived like in terms of what they experienced. I really feel like I was in a very uh, safe world when I was growing up. Mm. And you know Wollongong is like it's a very small tight knit community in a way like it's quite a you know large city but in terms of the general community people around you everyone seems to know each other you know when you when you're out you always see someone you know so it was a great place to to grow up yeah and mm, i guess um i was lucky enough too because when i went to school um and you know my parents were the first wave in a way of Vietnamese people to come to Australia. So their community was, I think, yeah, the first Vietnamese community in Wollongong. So it was a small community that has grown so significantly since then. But when I went to school, I was going to schools that, you know, I I think I would be one or two or three only other Asian um, students there. And I think that I found difficult to kind of the idea of fitting in and, and whatnot. But at the same time, I was really exposed to things I don't think I would have been. And one of those things was drama. Like at my high school, it was something that was really fostered. And um, that's how I got into it. What was the elements that attract you to do drama? Was your family environment um, supportive of what you do when you were little to be involved in drama? Because I know that some Asian parents, especially immigrant parents, that because they're not exposed to a lot of art and performance mm. um, scenes. So, you know, they might pull their kids back a little bit about entertainment and whatnot. But what was your parents' reaction when you were growing up and seeing you being attracted to drama? Yeah, I, I definitely feel like my parents have a strong traditional uh, way of, of mm. like bringing up my sister and I for sure um, but at the same time they generally were always like you definitely need to do something that you love because they were adamant that that was very important um, and I don't think they ever thought drama was something that I would really do as a career <laughs> at the very beginning because also I was a very um, quiet quite reserved 
child, mm-hmm. especially at school. Maybe that had things to do with belonging and whatnot. But I mean, a lot of kids go through that. So I think that's just my general personality. And I think it was later in high school, I think I was in year eight, and I had just a random subject to fill in. And I thought, you know what, maybe I'll just give this drama class a try. Like everyone was doing it. And, you know, as I said, my school fostered it. So I thought, okay, I'll jump in and give it a go. And I do remember that that class really kind of, I I don't know, I think like a switch turned on or a light bulb turned on. It was just like, wow, something just happened to me that I guess took me outside of that um, uncomfortability of being that quiet child. But in all honesty, it was like the last thing I ever thought I'd be doing. Like I was, I, I mean, I loved arts and crafts in the, I mean, in the corner doing my own little thing and, and mm. getting on stage seemed like the furthest thing for my personality. So I think that's why my parents also never expected me to take it as seriously as it has become, I suppose. Um, but when I, you know, after that experience, I started to do a lot more drama in high school and I ended up doing that for my HSC. And by the time I finished, I was like, you know what, I really love this and I, I think I'm going to try and pursue this. And when I told my parents, they were like, oh, that's, mm, uh, no, I don't think you really mean what you're saying. And I was like, no, I, I I do want to do this. And they were like, okay, well, go ahead, you know, go and do that. But you really do need to do something else alongside that. And maybe that is the sensible way of going about it. They were like, you know, go and do what you love, but you need like this plan B thing as well. Mm. So I did end up going to Wollongong Uni and I did a, a, a double degree uh, okay. of creative arts and media, which is quite ironic because media studies is quite lofty as well. <laughs> <laughs> but that seemed to please them actually. That actually was something like, yes, we're satisfied that you, you know, covered your bases. I think it was really when I got into Whopper, which was straight after I'd finished Wollongong. I hadn't completed my media degree. I'd finished my creative arts degree and I thought to myself, you know what, but just before I finish my media and go out into the real world, I might, I just want to try for these other schools to see how that'll go. And I ended up getting into Whopper, which is all the way in Perth. And this is little me who's never, who's never left Wollongong before. And when I told my mum, the first, her first reaction was, oh, you're not going to go, are you? And I was like, uh, yeah, I think I'm going to go. And, uh, and then after that, surprisingly, once I moved to Perth, they'd never questioned it again. They just have been the most supportive parents in terms of my Uh-oh. career choice. Mm-hmm. I, I think that was a moment in time where they went, okay, she's she's left the nest and she's really pursuing this now. And I've been very lucky because I think it would be very difficult if they felt differently now in my life to mm-hmm. keep pursuing something like this without their support. Uh, for me, I'm also naturally a people pleaser, which is something I've been working on. But um, mm-hmm. for me, I'm very lucky because they have just been so supportive ever since that moment. Mm-hmm. That's wonderful to hear. I mean, your parents must be very open-minded as well because I have encountered parents that, you know, not so much as disapprove, but, you know, they're not very supportive. That kind of holds back, you know, what a child wants to do as well because, after all, they're your parents and you're kind of in the position that, oh, should I be moving forward to do what I'd like to do? But then, you know, you're stuck in the middle. Um, but that's that's great to hear. Um, the, my next question is that um, I actually want to jump back to your high school. What, what, what was the high school HSC drama 
um, subject that you needed to do because I didn't do drama and I know very oh, few Asians that who did drama in HSC. So what was the like the course assessment like for the HSC drama? Well, my school, like I said, it was a very drama-based school. Mm-hmm. Um, it wasn't a performing arts school, but we had a, I had a great drama teacher. Like uh, Mrs. Shosted was someone who just fostered everyone in that course. The year eight one was like an introduction to clowning, actually. I, I remember that really well. And then when I picked it up for high school, it was you would have a group piece where you'd get together with other students in your year, you formed groups of four, and then you devised a piece of work. And then you had a solo piece, a monologue that you could, I think you could find it yourself, then, you know, talk to the teacher about what you wanted to do, and then they would help you. And that's what you presented to the um, panel for the HSC, and they would mark both of those works. And in amongst that, my school also had um, school plays, like each year they did school plays. I know that the school play that I was involved in, which was a musical, was the one where it was like, yep, I, I really love this. Like, this is so exciting. Like, this is the best time of my life. And if I hadn't been exposed to that, I would never have, I don't think I would have gone the way I have. Like, it really was my high school. I, I definitely, looking back, I know that it was that situation that I was put in that kind of moved my trajectory in terms of career choice um and yeah I don't think a lot of schools at that time really developed the drama side of things like Mm -hmm. theater and whatnot so it was just my the context that I was in I suppose Were you the very few Asians that were in the HSC or a drama course overall Yes, I was the only one. I was the only one. And I, I do have to say that there was a moment of high school where I really, I kind of, I got the real slap in the face of of some of the issues that were ahead. Like, because my school was so drama-based, each year the students could actually create their own play. Like, the teachers weren't involved. Like, the students themselves in year 11 got together and they, you know, we chose a director, then that director would go and, cast the play and that year we were doing Black Rock and I was in the drama cohort so everyone in the drama cohort auditioned and everyone got in except me and I went oh I know it was I I was quite like oh heartbroken by it Mm because you know I did the audition and I'd gone in they were very receptive to it and I think a couple of weeks later you know I was watching them in rehearsal and then the director later came up to me and, and then she was like you did such a great audition, but we're just so sorry. There's just, there were no roles in there for you because you're Asian pretty much. Like it was so direct. And I was just like, it it was just that moment where I was like, okay, yeah, you know, this is, you know, race is a thing. And it it Mm -hmm. was, it was definitely something that I learned there and then that it was going to be segregating at times. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I think that was a big moment for me to go, oh, it felt bad, you know, and it was, and because I was the only Asian in the drama class, mm-hmm. there was no other support kind of network around to kind of experience the same things with me. So that was difficult, I would say. But hey, that was a learning curve, I think, for me. Yeah, definitely. So after your study, um, how was your performance career started? What was the first uh, production that you were involved? 
Do you remember? That was my first year out. I know everyone's first year out, I think, is quite difficult because you say yes to so many things. You just constantly just want to work. You don't care if it's for free or you just want experience. I know the first theatre production I did was Quiet Night in Rangoon, which was an independent theatre show set um, in Burma. And it was a new work written by Katie Pollock, who, who is still a writer, a brilliant writer who I've worked with again since. So that's been a great relationship. And um, that was oh, in 2011, 2011. That was my very first production after I left. And um, I had worked with some really lovely people. It was a great experience. Mm, that's, that sounds amazing. How do you uh, mentally prepare for a role? I, I have so many questions about preparing for a role, but mm. I want, want to expand it later. But um, firstly, how if you get a role or for your audition or you've been selected to cast um, for a specific role, how do you mentally prepare for a role as an actor? Yeah, that's a good question. I think one of the biggest things is how much time did you do you get because sometimes you know a role can drop in and you have like a couple of days and that's it you're, you're kind of on or you'll do especially in theater you'll have a lot more time you'll have a month with your character where you can really explore things if it's a really short period like you really got to decide what you're going to focus on because you can't do everything a lot of the time with that situation i find my instincts are the best Thing. like I go with whatever instincts the guttural things that are there and just kind of latch on to that but with um, longer periods I get a chance to kind of put in all the techniques and skills that I've liked I've, like, I like that I've gathered in the past to um, build a character mm -hmm. um, and that's exciting because when you get more time to spend with this person then you you end up getting more layers and detail and it's all exciting stuff, especially when you're working with other actors who are doing the same thing and you can all collaborate together on it. So in that way, it's really dependent on the situation that you're in. Mm -hmm. I think. Yeah. Yeah. So on the subjects of, you know, being the, the, the role, um, what sort of characters do you wish to play the most? Have you thought about a specific character that you wish someone one day will write or perhaps you can write it as well have you thought about that as in the, you know as an asian australian what sort of roles would you consider that you really want to perform oh helen that is such a difficult question i just <laughs> I, I haven't thought about it too oh, okay I, I don't have like a dream uh -huh. role i'm not sure why maybe maybe part of it is because um a lot of the things I get cast in um, are, yeah, they're, they're sometimes very similar in a way. So there's part of me has kind of blocked that idea of like mm. of roles that have come along that are just sometimes mm. I just feel very far from what I'll ever play and I think that's why I don't really think about it too much. Like there are, I guess, um, dream roles of, of yeah, please. especially with like, for example, like Sandra O, o in Killing Eve or mm -hmm. um, 
um, Jodie's role in Killing Eve, like those female roles are just so amazing in terms of when I watch that series, you're just like, yo, that is just a role that would be great to jump into and there's so much meatiness to it. Mm-hmm. I mean, something like that would be a, a dream role, but I don't, but yeah, something on the lines of that, I think. Oh, I see. Don't, don't, uh, don't underestimate yourself. I think you really <laughs> need to push your boundaries. You'll be there one day. Yeah. Maybe, um, maybe. <laughs> so your preference, uh, TV or on stage theatre? Uh, ooh, another tough one. <laughs> I, Helen, you're giving me all the good ones today. Um, I think theatre, I've always, theatre is like my home ground. Like when I trained, we trained majority in theatre for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, uh, the more I do theatre, the more I have existentialist, quest- existentialist questions about theatre, about why I'm there and what I'm doing. I think it's because I'm an overthinker, that's for sure. Um, I definitely love the medium of film. Like I've always loved watching film and mm-hmm. I love the aspect of everyone is very equal in film in terms of the de- every department is just as important as one another and it's like when you on set you see that whole machine come together and it's such a beautiful thing to see um in theatre it's the same thing um but not the same thing at the same time and because I've done a lot more theatre I think than film um I've also you know had different questions come up that I that I have been filtering like kind of working through like in terms of um, my function in theatre in terms of audiences that come to theatre, which I think is a question that is happening a lot just generally about who we play to and who we're making stories for. Mm. And, um, yeah, I think those types of questions are things that I'm still working through. And that's funny because it goes alongside the work, like it's quite separate. Like I could be playing a role that has nothing to do with that but then be thinking about why, what the medium is and why we do it and who, what we're saying and and um, especially with, as you mentioned, the one, um, mm-hmm. that was my first, I think, uh, play in a very, very long time where I was with a majority Asian cast mm-hmm. doing a, an Asian storyline and it was such a different experience. Um, that was something new and I'm still, I'm still, I guess, reflecting on that experience mm-hmm. and, um, yeah, I think, I guess I'm, what I'm trying to say is that it's run theater runs deep to me because I've done it done it so long and I and it's run so deep that I have had questions over the past couple of years that um I think has have changed my 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 way of pro, like processing what yeah. I do which has been really interesting so it's been especially with COVID as well like you've yeah. time to reflect on that as as well with so much extra time so yeah I, I would say that I I, I love both um, and I would love to do more screen work, um, but who knows? We'll, we'll, we'll just we'll just see what. The yeah, we'll is. definitely see more work of you in the coming years. Definitely. Hopefully, I get some more film gigs because I would just love to um, upskill. That would be so, mm. so cool. I think I'm still a bit intimidated sometimes with mm. screen work because I haven't um, done a huge amount. But yeah, maybe in the future. Yeah, of course.
Um, so, how do you feel about this? Is going to be a little bit more, another complicated question. How do you feel about working in film and TV industry as an Asian in the predominantly white sphere? You know, in you know, yes. or Australia. My my observation in the recent years is that yes, um, it has certainly become more diverse and multicultural in the industry.、Mm-hmm. But has the industry improved in terms of offering diverse roles and various scripts that are different to what we watch when we were. Growing up, like my high school years was in the nineties, and you're probably a bit later. And also, most specifically, do you think Asian performers、uh, encounter more obstacles or less?、Um, you know, when it comes to being a part of the industry, What, what's your observation on that?、Mm. Um, okay, from my perspective, I suppose I can only talk from my perspective、mm-hmm. and how long I've been around.、Um, I would say the the one big overarching challenge, I guess,、mm-hmm. would be a particular pattern that I've played over and over and over in my career, and that would be. And I think it goes back to your question about, well, what's your dream role? What would、mm-hmm. you play? And I've been like, well, it's kind of hard to picture because the roles that I play usually are well. Overarchingly, it's usually an Asian female character who is struggling with identity because of their、mm-hmm. Asianness、mm-hmm. and not wanting to be Asian, and how they get through that problem.、Mm-hmm. And for me, that is the role that I have played pretty much over and over again since、mm-hmm. I graduated.、Mm-hmm. And that's okay, a bit okay. But I think the difference is that all that all those times I think in terms of the eight years since I graduated and I've graduated I think over that now I think because I'm talking about the last five years things have changed a little bit、mm-hmm. and but prior to that it was that narrative but from a through a white lens meaning that that story、mm-hmm. was written by a, a, a white writer、mm-hmm. and therefore it was a, a very particular lens which is all good and totally fine but I don't think it. It becomes a problem if it happens over and over and over again, and we don't have that variety of other lenses that are contributing、mm-hmm. to the wider landscape of that narrative. So it was really pushing the same thing all the time. And as an actor, I think it's it's difficult because you are facilitating someone else's story, which is great.、Mm-hmm. That's what a writer is there for. But then you don't have like、uh, a huge amount of leeway to completely like. Say hey, can I just do balance? I would say, but、um, in the last number of years, I think the first theatrical role that I played, where my race had nothing to do with anything, was actually with Mark Kilmurray, who I'm working with right now on Boxing、yep. Day Barbecue.、Mm-hmm. On another role that has nothing to do with my race,、okay. um, with my background. Um, but he was the very first director that offered me a role where my name was Celia Constanti. Like it was an Italian surname, and he was like, "Yep, here's a role for you." And I was like, "Whoa, this is like my very first role where、um, my background has nothing to do with no relation to why my character is there or or being explained as to why I'm there,、mm-hmm. which is I think very common that it needs to be explained why this Asian character is in the room, kind of thing."、Mm-hmm. So. That was 2018, and since then, I definitely had a, a number of different roles come through that、um, have been significantly different from what I would usually get cast in, which is very exciting.、Um, I think with that though, 
with this new progression that we're headed towards, other issues kind of come up that we probably never foresaw before because we weren't put in this position. I think, I think, I guess a couple of examples of that is like before, uh, I would be cast as any Asian depending on the circumstance of that role. For example, just say the character said Japanese, but I didn't have to speak Japanese, then they could look at me as potentially playing that character. Whereas now, you would not be seen for a Japanese character. You would only be seen for your um, ethnic background. And for me, I found that that's been very interesting because even though my surname is Huynh, which is Vietnamese, people will read that and go Vietnamese. And so I'd actually found that my Chinese roles were dropping off, even though mm-hmm. I am Chinese. So mm-hmm. it's interesting how boxed you become. Like they'll look at your name and be like, well, Vietnamese will only um, will only like cast that for, you know, Vietnamese. We're not going to look at them for these other, like for a Chinese role because mm-hmm. that doesn't, like it's very interesting how it has really switched in that way. And yeah, yeah. that's all good and fine depending on the context of the role. Like I totally get that I, I and like in terms of um, you, you need to cast appropriately and I totally get that. Um, but there are, have been moments during auditioning where it's gotten to a point where you first thing you go in there and the first question is, can you please tell us your background, where you're from? And that's the audition in a way, like, okay, well, they're not the right fit because they're not of, you know, the right background and that's... Mm-hmm done and dusted and um that's been a bit a bit awkward actually I have to say mm-hmm. so that's something that's come up and also the notion of box ticking there's a lot of times you feel that you know, you're there because you're just ticking a box mm-hmm. and you end up doing the work but you're like I know I'm not gonna get the role I'm here to mm-hmm. to fill in your quota in that mm-hmm. respect um and that's Another thing that I think has come up and also the idea of um, the pressure that I think a lot of artists of colour and Mm -hmm. artists who are from minority backgrounds who haven't had their stories told on stages or screens before suddenly get fast-tracked in terms of uh, opportunity will arise and Mm -hmm. they get given this opportunity. But there's a lot of pressure on that one opportunity because it hasn't been fostered or nurtured over a period of time. It's just like, well, we need this to happen now because this is what's happening at the time. So here's an opportunity right here and now. And there's so much pressure for that to be amazing when in essence, like the, it's, it's not like the ingredients have been bubbling away or simmering away for a while. It's Mm -hmm. kind of like do or die. And a lot of the time it feels like if you fail with that opportunity, you won't get another one again, Mm -hmm. which I think is very different from um, other situations where you've been mentored over a number of years and you've made a career progression where where slowly you get to that point and it makes sense. Mm -hmm. Whereas there's just ultimately a a lot of pressure, I feel, um, that can just be shoved at us um, Mm -hmm. because of the current times and, you know, wanting to fast track things. So there are lots of new, new, um, I think, situations that have come up that are teething that needs teething and massaging, basically. So mm-hmm. I don't know. That's a very long-winded answer to your question. No, that's perfectly fine. I totally understand about the fast track and sometimes that 
being artists of color that if you get an opportunity you grab on so tightly and a lot of pressure is on that particular artist and you might feel like oh i'm representing overall asians and if i don't do it well you know I, there's a lot more stress about it and i also totally understand about the awkwardness about being a specific ethnic background to be cast on a specific role mm -hmm. sometimes the production teams want to be overly political correctness whereas you know in the past we see white people can be cast in Irish Scotsman, you know, just yeah. any white characters and that's fine. But now you feel like, oh, I don't know, is there a gatekeeper that is like stopping us to access those roles or are we in conflict with ourselves to determine what who should be on that role, you know? Yes, because, I know. I'm, exactly. Yeah, yeah exactly. And I, Asian Americans in the past been cast in like Japanese or Chinese or Vietnamese, but their background's not necessary align yes. with that role so yeah we'll see how it goes in the future but it seems it's great conversation i think um within the community that we should have a discussion about it yeah definitely definitely it's something that's come up that i didn't expect so much mm -hmm. and you I, I think the difference is yes if we were being seen for roles that um like uh i guess roles that were non-specific in terms of ethnicity that's mm -hmm. all well and good, but it's not like that is happening. Like all the roles that I get will always be like looking for this person from this particular background mm -hmm. um, and therefore therefore, it's just become ultra-specific, ultra-specific. Mm -hmm. And, yeah, it is interesting conversation and it's definitely not something that we'd, I'd be talking about like, you know, prior to five years ago. That's the most amazing thing in terms of how how different the landscape is in terms mm -hmm. of what's come up yeah absolutely let's talk about boxing day barbecue so the premises that i have here about boxing day barbecue is that it's the story of wine stop peter and cynical connie who reluctantly get the family together for a run two of festivity on boxing day in raising a toast to their parents memory all grudges and family tensions sizzle uh, to the service under the direction of Ensemble Artistic Director Mark Kilmari, this world premiere production brings together an exceptional lineup of talents to charm the audience. Could you tell us a little bit about the play and your parts um, in this production? Sure, I'd love to. It's written by Sam O'Sullivan, um, who has written, he's just a, such a beautiful writer. Um, it's a a writing style that's really easy to watch in terms of when I first read it, it was such an easy read and so relatable in terms of the characters. Um, I guess an extension to some of the summary that you were saying about the play mm -hmm. is that it's a story that's set on Boxing Day mm -hmm. and about a family that's come together one year after the patriarch of their family, Grandpa Stephen, has passed away, and they've come together to kind of continue this family tradition, but it doesn't quite go to plan. And it's a, an exploration of family dynamics and relationships within families, and it's set on the backdrop of like a quintessential hot Australian mm. Christmas. So yeah. it's a very relatable story in terms yeah. of, you know, we all get together uh, with families at Christmas and what happens in that situation? Um, well, what can happen? Uh, I play Val, who is, um, who has been in 
an addition to the family for the past 10 years. She's the second wife of Peter and um, she's been working through relationships with her stepdaughter and her sister-in-law and um, they don't always see eye to eye in terms of their political views or just views generally and my character is someone who can be quite outspoken with very individual views uh, and she's just a, a funny overall, um, you know, has a quirky sensibility and mixing that into a dynamic of other personalities that uh, are quite out there uh, leads to, I think, inter interesting viewing. So it's um, a comedy and yet has some family drama mixed in as well. Hmm. Um, it's highly anticipated because everyone loves a, a family drama, especially if that's something happening during Christmas period. There's well, bound to be something to be happening. Yeah. Exactly. Usually. Who can't relate to that? Really. <laughs> yeah, um, my final question is, um, since we're heading towards the end of the year, what is lining up for you in 2013, 2023? 2023, yes. Well, I am super excited because the play um, I well the first I've directed a play the first play I ever directed in 2019 it was called Sky Duck a Chinese spy comedy and it's headed now um, to Auckland Art Festival in oh amazing uh -huh. yeah we're super excited because this was just a little independent show it's uh -huh. written by Sam Wang who he also stars in it he's a it's a one-man show he plays right. multiple characters but it's a bilingual co comedy so it's both in english and mandarin and the storyline is like an east meets west international action spy comedy set mm. on stage and it's we've got like flight simulators and dog fights and musical numbers it's pretty <laughs> outrageous but we're just so super excited that we get a chance to show this further to mm -hmm. well to New Zealand so that's happening next year we're going to do a little tour and um Sam is someone who he has just such a unique um brain and mm -hmm. we've known each other for a number of years and have collaborated for quite a while so for us this has been really an exciting journey to see this show go from literally a small development in mm -hmm. uh, a crack festival over um when we did it in, I think, 2018 to now actually getting to go main stage. So mm -hmm. that's been a huge deal for us and we're so excited. Yes, that's so, so exciting. Looking forward to it. And with, you know, COVID gradually moving away and we're hoping to see more theatre scenes coming back in our life. Yeah, absolutely. Yes, exactly. Like, well, actually our show had was cancelled last year for Auckland because of COVID. So okay. we were we were afraid it wasn't going to come back. So it's so nice to be at this stage where theatre is back and mm -hmm. feels much more secure than what it did like in the last two years, that's for sure. Yeah, absolutely. So the information about Boxing Day Barbecue will be on our podcast show now and I'll have to thank Eileen. Thank you so much for joining me today. Oh it's such been a pleasure and a delightful conversation. It's been so amazing and fun. I can't uh, thank you enough, Helen, for having me on Asian Bitches Down Under because it's like a, a dream for me come true. <laughs> thank you for coming. Absolutely. Yeah, I hope yeah. to catch, you, uh, catch up with you and we'll be going to the show next Friday. I think we've got tickets Ooh, Friday. Exciting. Okay, you'll have to let me know when you're in. Yeah, of, of course, yeah. 
We'll tag you. We'll tag you. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you Thanks for coming so to our show. Time. Thank you. Thanks. And that's the end of our episode. Remember to subscribe to our podcast on Spotify, Google and Apple Podcasts and give us a five-star rating. If you'd like to support us, what we do here at Asian Bitches Down Under, head to our Buy Me Coffee page and make a donation for us to continue the intersectionality in the podcast industry. So that's it from us this week. Um, we'll chat to you next time. Bye.